Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Each week when you join me, Podcast One, you're going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. Come on this journey with me. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Confidence. I'm so excited you're back with me this week. And excited this week to talk about the new year and looking out at 2020 and how you're approaching it. Wanted to share with you how I am approaching it. It made me, first of all, one of the things that I do when I look at a new year, coming to New Year's, and I love that idea of, you know, new year, resolutions, what your goals are. I think it's so important to write down your goals, share them with people to hold yourself accountable, get really specific when you write them down. You know, of course, be open-minded that they might not all come to fruition in the timeline you're giving yourself. However, it's really important to give yourself a timeline, to have a plan and strategy how to get there, to elicit help and support to deliver on your promises to yourself. So it's a really exciting time of year. One of the things I'd love for you to do that I do is I look back on the previous year. So look at the beginning of 2019 and what were your plans for your New Year's resolutions, your New Year's goals when you were one year ago today. At the end of 2018, what were you forecasting, planning, and what were your goals for 2019? So of course, I sat down and did this. It is so crazy how much can change in a year. And if you don't believe that, let me tee this up for you. So at the end of 2018, I had written my book. I was out speaking everywhere I could to promote and sell the book, doing a lot of promotion. I'd start, I started being a podcast guest on a lot of different shows. I had actually started talking to Podcast One about the potential of doing a show. Nothing was solidified. And at this time last year, conversations went dark. One of the challenges when you are not working in corporate America, but you're an entrepreneur, is the time around the holidays is tough. So many people are on vacation. So many people are off and things have a tendency to slow down, of course, which when I was in corporate America, I thought was great because I could have time off. However, when you are the sole revenue provider and revenue generator, you own the business and company, you want everyone to be working and as excited as you are each day. So this time of year can be difficult, but like with anything, the more experience you have with it, the more you can adjust to it. So this year is definitely better than it was last year. But, you know, sitting at the end of 2018, looking towards 2019, I can tell you this, I remember... I definitely wasn't certain I would have my own podcast by any stretch of the imagination because my conversations had gone dark. So I knew I wasn't going to do the podcast on my own. I would only do it if I could partner and sign on with a major marquee brand like Podcast One. So I, I that was up in the air. It wasn't a clear goal that I was giving a timeline to because it wasn't working out that way at the time. 
So some of the things that I remember focusing intently on was I remember wanting Reese Witherspoon to make my book into a movie. I had been told hundreds of times by people who had read the book that it should be a movie. I decided she was the one that I needed to make it into a movie and I needed to meet with her. So I put that out into the universe as one of my goals. Uh, newsflash, that did not happen in 2019. We don't know if it's going to happen moving forward. It's still on my radar, but... I share that with you because I had a lot of goals that I wanted to achieve and I achieved a lot of them. However, I set a lot of goals that nothing happened with, a lot of them, right? So one was around the speaking business and I didn't know the importance or value in signing with a speaking bureau, an exclusive agreement. I just knew that I was signing with a lot of speaker bureaus. I had a lot of representation. So part of I guess the evolvement or the evolving and changing during the year was I was learning more because I'm so many of the things I'm doing are new. I don't have all the information. So I, I didn't know to set a goal that I wanted to sign an exclusive with a speaker agent. Uh, I learned during the year it would benefit me tremendously because they'd actually go out and hustle and pitch me and promote me, which no one was doing. So that was something I learned along the way. I didn't know that one year ago. And I share that with you because today you might not know exactly what all of your goals and New Year's resolutions are going to be. You know, you might have a grasp on a few of them that you have clarity with, but it's okay not to know all of them. And it's okay to evolve these things during the year. I certainly did because some of the things I'm most proud of were not on my list of New Year's resolutions and goals a year ago. So at the end of 2018, I wasn't clear and I didn't set launching my own podcast in May of 2019 as a goal and having Gary Vaynerchuk as my first guest. I wasn't clear on any of those things or that was so far out of my realm of possibility in December of 18. The the things that transpired between December 18 to May of 19 were so massive I couldn't have predicted them, you know, and it was all about just taking action, thinking bigger and swinging for the freaking fences. And sometimes you connect and things happen and other times you don't. You know, I worked with Kim Gravel, who's amazing on launching a clothing brand with HSN. That has not come to fruition. In fact, those conversations are dark right now. And I spent money and time and resources on those things. Doesn't mean it won't ever happen. But it didn't happen. Another thing I was really focused on at the end of 2018 was I really wanted to take the stage for Grant Cardone's 10X event that was coming to Miami. I believe it was in January or February of 19. I had worked for him free. I volunteered my time for him a couple years ago to do a TV show for him. And when I left, he said, if you ever need anything, you know, let me know. And he wasn't as near as big as he is now. And so his brand has blown up. Now he was doing a huge speaking event with, you know, thousands of people at uh, the local stadium here in Miami. I really wanted to take that stage. Anyway, I got to his people. They know me. They like me. And they told me no. They said, no, you know, we're already full and there's just no space and blah, blah, blah. So I was really disappointed in that. And that was something I was really clear on I wanted didn't happen. Uh, I wanted to write my second book, which I did do. So I'm super proud of that. But like I said, the things that I'm most proud of accomplishing in 2019 were not on that list of goals that I wrote out at the end of December in 2018. So, you know, be open-minded to celebrate the wins that you did have. And really for me, most of the goals that I wrote down and, and 
thought I was going to achieve or was so focused on achieving, those were the ones that didn't end up really coming to fruition, didn't happen. However, now that I look back, I see how things evolve and change. And just to give you a, a couple of highlights that I'm super proud of, I remember I was really excited to be on Lori Harder's podcast. She has a big podcast and I was going to be a guest coming out, you know, the first week of January. And I was so excited about that and putting that out to the universe. It was going to be huge. But what I didn't know is January 3rd, I'd get a phone call back from the Steve Harvey show. I had no idea. I had been knocking on the door, sending them life-size cutouts, sending them autographed copies of my book. And wouldn't you know, the first week of January, I got a call. Hey, can you be here in two weeks? We'd love to have you as a guest. So that was huge. And I had no idea that was coming. Follow up a month later, I got a DM on LinkedIn from a professor at Harvard asking me if I would teach a class at Harvard. And so a month later, I taught a class on sales and marketing at Harvard. And I have to tell you, that was never on my list of things I was going to achieve. It's something that happened because I post so much content that this professor found valuable. He was intrigued for me to come in and share some of the direction, learning, and experience I have around sales and marketing with his students because he said he did not have similar knowledge that I had. His was mostly based off of reading and research, where mine was in the real world experience. And he wanted to show that different perspective to to his students. So that was such an amazing experience. I could have never predicted it. So again, I go back to, you don't have to have all the answers or all the right goals to write down today. You do need to identify what are some of the big goals that you can have and share them with people and give yourself a timeline and go for them because those massive actions and steps that you'll take towards them will open doors that you didn't even know existed. I was still going after Reese Witherspoon to get the book done, and that meant pitching myself for more speaking engagements, which ended up teaching me I needed to sign an exclusive with a speaker bureau, which led me to APB speakers that I signed with. I let my friends know about it. So during this process, you know, so many different things happened. A friend of mine sent my speaker kit over to Hypergrowth in Boston, And it ended up, I had interviewed Jesse Itzler for my podcast. And so when they wanted someone to interview him and Sarah Blakely, I was a natural to fit for that spot. None of those things would have happened without the other things, dominoes falling beforehand. So if I hadn't launched the podcast with Podcast One back in May, if I hadn't landed Gary Vaynerchuk as my first guest, and if he hadn't supported me on social the way that he did, I wouldn't have set the bar so high that... it became reasonable to ask for Ryan Serhan as a guest, Amy Morin as a guest, James Altucher for a guest, Jesse Itzler as a guest, and so on and so forth. So when you set that bar high, you swing for the fences. You're going to miss a lot. I've been told, you know, David Goggins people told me no. Chelsea Handler's people told me no. Wait until you see who said yes in January. You're going to be so excited for one of these guests that I have coming on. In the middle of January, I'm super excited. One of my biggest guests yet. But so you have to keep swinging and keep putting it out there because we're going to get a lot of no's. But there's one thing that I've built my success off of in corporate America as well as an entrepreneur, and that's going for the ask every time. It's not a some of the time thing. It's an every time thing. And not taking it personal when we get a no. I know it's a redirection. And 
sometimes you can get a no from someone, reapproach it, change the conversation, and ultimately get the yes. So just keep adding value, keep moving forward, keep swinging for the fences, and you might be shocked as to what goals you actually achieve and how different they are from what you set out to. So the biggest, the, the two things I had a lot of clarity around was I was going to take that 10x stage. Remember, I, I didn't get it. I had many conversations, a lot of dialogue, and I was told no in the end, and that was a, a hard no. And the other was that I was my movie was going to be made with Reese Witherspoon, and I still have not had a discussion with that woman, although I've had discussions with people who are connected to her. That is not happening as of today. But some of the amazing things that did happen was I did launch my show with Podcast One in May of 2019. I'm so proud. We're at 800,000 downloads right now, which is mind-blowing. Again, I wanted to get to a million when I saw the trajectory picking up. We're not there yet, but we will be there soon. And I'm super, super grateful for everyone tuning in each week, for sharing the podcast, supporting the podcast, commenting, liking, and leaving a review. It helps so much. So thank you so much for that. And of course, one other really big accomplishment, personal accomplishment I had this year was my TEDx talk. I'm so proud of it. If you haven't seen it yet, it's 10 minutes long. I lay out the five-step plan, how I created confidence in my life and fired the villain that I had. And I promise you, you will gain value from this 10 minutes. Definitely check it out on YouTube. Just type in Heather Monahan TEDx and it will show right up. And I can't wait to hear what you think, but I'm super, super proud of that. So again, the things that I set out to accomplish New Year's heading into 19 are not the things that I accomplished, but they did evolve and open doors into other things that are really taking off for me now. Another thing that I learned that I wanted to share um, quickly with you is that, you know, for my TEDx, I, I followed my heart and told a very personal story, knowing that some people might not like it. I'd get some haters. Yes, the haters came for sure. But one of the things that was disappointing was hearing from the head of a major speaker bureau that I should have played it safe. I should have talked about sales and sales leadership, and that would have gotten me more bookings at a higher rate to drive revenue for me and my business. And, uh, you know, I, I had to take a moment and think about it. I was really disappointed at first when I heard that. And I thought about it and I decided in just a short time and the few weeks it's been out, the feedback I've gotten from people has been overwhelming. And I'm glad I went with my heart. I'm glad I went with my gut. And I'm glad I did what was right. Because at the end of the day, we're not going to make everyone happy. But who knows what the future holds. This just might set me down a different path that opens different doors. And I'm going to stay focused on that. So today, the show is going to be a little different, seeing as how we are knocking on the new year. I thought it would be great to do a mashup. And one of the shows I'm super excited about actually is a show I went on. Last month, I was a guest on Gary Vaynerchuk's show. He has been such an amazing supporter of mine this year. I'm so, so grateful for him. Remember, a year ago, I didn't even know the guy. I just followed him on social media. And now he was a guest. He was my first guest ever, the most downloaded episode on creating confidence. If you haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen to it. It's the first episode. It's so, so good. But you know, not only did he do that during that interview, I asked him, I'd love to be a guest on your show and share some value around getting fired and the bounce back for your audience. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And so after a lot of calls, DMs, emails, and text messages, his 
executive assistant got me on and that aired last month and I'm super proud of it. So what I did was I'm sharing some highlights from that interview, some of the takeaways that Gary shared with me to really help me and and support me. And I hope that it helps and supports you because this man definitely is a mastermind when it comes to social media business, being an entrepreneur, driving revenues and driving community. So he's got so much to share. I hope you take a lot away. Before before we get there, I've got to share some podcasts one love and let you know that if you love true crime podcasts, you have got to check out Copycat Killers, the latest podcast from Reels and Podcast One. These are the same guys who did Murder Made Me Famous. So if you love that, you are going to love Copycat Killers. Every episode, they go behind the scenes of real life murder cases. Oh my gosh. Which copy memorable slang seen in Hollywood movies. You definitely need to check it out. Be sure to subscribe on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every Tuesday just like Creating Confidence. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Make 2020 a year where you explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. If that sounds hard, then you need Skillshare's online classes now. They make it very, very easy. What you find just might surprise you and inspire you. And this is the time you actually need to do this. You need to invest in yourself for 2020. If you want things to be different this year, you've got to do something different. And this education can happen at your fingertips any time you want. I have taken some unbelievable classes, but right now I'm so excited about improving my Instagram feed that Instagram-worthy photography, shoot, edit, and share with Brandon Wolfelt has been unbelievable for me. I'm really working to improve how my feed looks. And like you, I don't have all the answers. There are plenty of things I'm good at and plenty of things I lack knowledge on. And that's why I love Skillshare. This community has countless imagination when it comes to different topics, the best professors, and people breaking things down for you in such a simplistic way. There's so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives. Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. You are worth $10 a month. This is an investment not only can you afford to make in yourself, you can't afford not to make it. It's time to invest in you. So again, I want you to know that there are so many different classes out there, whether it be creative writing, graphic design, photography, which you know I'm so leaning into as I make my Instagram account Instagram worthy. It's finally happening. I am so proud. But it doesn't matter what topic you're in, you're going to find or you're interested in, you're going to find it with Skillshare and you're worth this investment. It's being creative can be everything. It can open your mind to see things differently. And this is how you open that door. Skillshare is a proud sponsor of Creating Confidence. I'm so grateful for that. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash confidence and get two free months of premium membership. You will be so glad you did. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash confidence. That's Skillshare.com slash confidence and you get two free months of premium membership. You will definitely thank me for this one. Hey, 
everybody. Uh, welcome to a conversation on the podcast, uh, a format that it seems that a lot of people are liking, and so we're going to continue to do it. Um, I'm super excited about this uh, interview because this is a great story about if you don't ask, you don't get. So I'm going to let this lovely lady introduce herself and tell you uh, uh, who she is. Then I'll tell you how she got here, and then we're going to shoot the shit. <laughs> What's up? I'm What's so up? excited Good to, to see you be again. back here. It's crazy. So I'm Heather Monahan. I was formerly a chief revenue officer in corporate America for 14 years. Um, I got fired two years ago. And when that happened, I wrote and self-published my first book, Confidence Creator, which Trump Trump for number one in business biographies on Amazon. Have the screenshot to prove that one. And I've just been out now speaking. I just did my first TED Talk Saturday. Thank you. And um, I'm just tearing it up. So so I was on your podcast Thank uh, you for a couple that, months ago. Way. You're welcome for that. A couple months ago, uh, Heather. And then, uh, thank you. Bro. And then uh, at the end or in it or towards the end, you're like, can I be on yours? And I said, yep, you can. And the reason, and one, we had a great, I thought it was a great session on your podcast. Everyone loved it. Yeah. Thank actually, it. let's jump into that. How was the feedback? Amazing. I what mean, was the thing that stood out? People said it was a different version of you because we talked a lot about family. Remember yep, we talked we about I your did. grandmother? Yep. Like we really got into some different topics. I think yep. that typically people don't explore with you, which is cool. Cool. Uh, and so great energy to your point. I did think it was, it got into a lot of territories that were different. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's funny. I, and, and for everybody listening, you've seen Zane, who's sitting here, asks me at a Q&A, can I get a job? I say yes, he literally works here. Uh, uh, you've seen other things, you know, I say yes to, and then, and then I say no all the time, like thousands and thousands, not thousands, hundreds and hundreds of people have asked me in those kind of scenarios, can I be on the podcast or this or that? You can't get a shout on your social and things of that nature. And I always feel super comfortable saying no or yes, uh, but, to the point and, and something that I'd like to start talking about as a kickoff point before we go into a little more context on you and then anything else you want to talk about is how much, how often do you ask for what you're looking for? How has that worked for you in your career? When did you develop it? Has it always been there? I think, you know, uh, I put out a piece of content recently where I told everybody to DM every, uh, to text everybody in their address book if they knew anybody that could give them business, right? So if you're selling, you know, everybody listening, if you missed it, if you sell t-shirts, if you have an agency, if you have, you know, a product, a book, instead of texting everybody in your phone, and I'm talking like starting with Aaron Andelson and ending with Zach Zarlington, you know, if you text everybody, instead of saying, hey, can you buy my book? You could say, hey, I have a new book, Aaron. Uh, do you know anybody who'd be interested in it? Which of course alludes to maybe them, or maybe they actually do recommend somebody on it. That really struck a chord, and I've gotten hundreds of emails in the last three weeks of people that did it and had miraculous results. Like literally, my landscaping business was about to go under. I was going to like put everything on a credit card, but I saw that clip, texted 483 people, and have 13 new clients and don't need to take out credit cards. Like, so, so much of why we're sitting here is you just had the audacity the strategy, the balls, the thoughtfulness, whatever one wants to put in front of it to actually ask, which is something people are super fearful of. Uh, 
how are you with that? Obviously, you did it with me. Has it always been there? Has it not been there? Tell me about you with the relationship of asking. So you're That's my opening up. question. This Heather. is funny. So you know Zach that runs your speaker business? Zach Nadler. Yes, I do. Okay. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer, and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, CBDistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life, thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit CBDistillery.com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular and it is just so easy all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website, and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you, and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized, I can do this. I can go to work for myself, thanks to Shopify what I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're gonna make it easy. So I speakers.com. So I was on a conference call with Zach, and I don't know Zach. Yep. And I was gonna be interviewing Jesse Itzler and Sarah Blakely a month ago in Boston. And so they had this call with me to like basically strategize how it would go and whatnot. Right. So I said, listen, Zach, I don't know you, but here's the thing. I wanna come out to Biggie Small, Mo Money Mo Problem. Me and Jesse will go like riff this thing up and start rapping. He's like, excuse me. Uh no, this is we do it traditional and blah blah blah. blah. But 
if you don't like think out of the box and then just bring it like whatever crazy heat you have, you're going to get nothing. I, I want it to be memorable. Like I want people to say, holy cow. Like, so I, did I get what I want? No, he didn't which let me do it, which is fine. But he will remember me forever. Cause as soon as he saw me at hypergrowth, he's like, oh my God, you're that crazy lady that wanted to come out with Jesse rapping. Yes. You know? So like, even if you don't get what you're going for, you're going to be remembered forever. Are you better at asking for things in business or in personal life or business. both. Yeah, no, me, me too. I'm not good in Me too, life. me neither. I'm I'm, I have so much less fear of knowing business than I did growing up with like girls. Oh. Like so much more. I used to like laugh, totally. like thinking like, why am I 13 and willing to like do actual business with 43 year olds, but I'm like scared to ask like Stacey Johnson to the dance. But so I'm the same, the same thing. And, I've, and, and by the way, what's ironic about that is I actually have seen far more people the other way. I always used to think it was one and the same. And like, it was really funny to me to see like guys or gals that were good social life wise asking crippled by cold calling or cold emailing or asking, which is why I asked you that. I've come to realize, wow, for some reason there's some sort of difference in those two worlds. Um, and I'm curious about who stinks at both, who's great at both, and then who's good at one or the other and which one. I wish I was good in my personal life now. What was your what was the most businessy thing you did when you grew up? The most being a kid? Yeah. Were you in business at oh, all? Oh yeah. I mean, I had a paper. I was. I grew up poor. My yep. mom was a single mother. Up? Worcester, Mass. The oh, yes. five oh eight. Remember, that's what Charlie yes, and yes, I yes, had. Yes, that yes, in yes, yes, I remember. Yeah. So no, I had a paper route since I was nine. I worked at fast food restaurants. I was, you know, a busboy at like diners. You know, I just always worked. And so. What about entrepreneurship versus job? Obviously, you were CRO. Now you've got fired. You're doing your own thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Was because, you know, a lot of people that grow up with adversity, single mom, having to work, love the stability of a real serious job. Yes. You went that I route. love that. I yes. never thought about being an entrepreneur. That was a crazy Not, idea. Can you tell the kids that are listening that, you know, neither one of us are under 25. So, 45. you know, right. So, so. Like how much we didn't grow up with entrepreneurship even being an option? No, you're the poster boy for the entrepreneurial world, but that didn't exist when we were kids. Everyone was in corporate America. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Like that wasn't that wasn't something somebody talked about. Yeah, like the only way you heard it is like, oh, they own their own business. You would not even right. use the word entrepreneur. No. And as a matter of fact, the word entrepreneur, the few times I did hear it, usually meant rich kid who does nothing and parents are painful. <laughs> really? It's really interesting. Like, that's how I recall it. Like, four or five guys that I can think of growing up as 16, 22, 21, like, they would have like a card that was like, I'm an entrepreneur. And I was like, what does that mean? And basically, then somebody else, when they would leave, be like, oh, they just live on the beach. PhD. Their parents are do, you, like, yeah. do you remember that PhD, Papa has dealership? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was the entrepreneur back in the day. What are you most thinking about these days? Like, what, do you, what is your business today? Well, right now, my number one revenue stream is a speaking business, which is insane. I can't believe how much money I get paid. It's I agree. crazy. It's so exciting. I wish I had known about this. How many times did you speak for free, if ever? I just spoke for free at the freaking TikTok. No, 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 That's no, no that I don't. I'm talking about prior to getting paid, or was your first- My whole career. For 20 years in corporate America, I was right. a sales leader. Right. Every day I spoke. You're speaking to your team. But clients, how about after whatever. you got fired? Actually, tell that quick story before we run out of time. Which one? The framework of what I recall from our podcast and really where you go. You had this big gig. You got fired. Yeah. You had to make an adjustment. Yeah, no, that was the scariest thing because I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with that unknown space like how you are. You've 
you know, you've always been in this lane. Yeah, that's my world. For me, that was never my world. I like that safe. I used, I was tricking myself. I thought it was really safe being in corporate America, which is bullshit because any company can be sold tomorrow and Correct. you only have your brand and you and your experiences and your network. So I you agree. are not safe unless you are actually doing it. I feel so much safer now that I work for myself. Cause you're in control. I'm in control. I trust my boss. You know, like I, I am not going to sell the company. I'm good, you know? And just, it's such a, it's a seismic shift to think about how I, what's believe. the first thing you thought? So you get, how did you get fired in person? Yeah, in a uh, two minute meeting. Two oh my, minute. In with two HR? Minutes. So the, no, with the, with new, the C- CEO. The new CEO, CEO I had worked Got for it. for 14 Got years it. became Left. ill. He elevated his daughter to replace him. And she immediately said, come over. I need to have a meeting with you. And she basically passed two memos in front of me and said, I don't need a chief revenue officer anymore. I don't need you. Which memo would you like to sign? And one said, Heather Monahan's been fired. And the other one said, you know, Heather Monahan, wonderful <laughs> employee, blah, blah, blah. But I knew this wasn't my first rodeo. I knew did that you, there was. Did you have any relationship with her? Well, prior I, she was the CFO and got I was the CRO. It, so we were like, she it. wanted to cut everything and I wanted to spend everything. I got it. Of course, that makes you know? sense. But I, I did never, you know when she called you over? It was Kaputskis, or did you? No, hope? she's a smart woman. Yeah. She was very analytical, yep. and she's a CFO. She was right. She's the antithesis of me, but I, I thought got it. she knew like. I mean, the yin and the yang. Job, I'm it. not going to fire her. Right. I figured she was going to rough me up a little, you know, to or try to get aligned. Yeah. Well, I didn't think so. That were was you shocked? Happen. Well, I was crying. I mean, I cried the whole three hour ride home. Did you, did you, do you have it in you in that scenario? Like, what's funny about me is every time anything happens, I start the process of worst case scenario. Dustin emails me and says, I need three minutes with you. The first, this is real. This, I just, it just happened. The first thing I think is, I hope he's not sick. Like I go so oh funny. I go into like, what's the worst that can happen? I hope he's not sick. Uh, I hope something ter- like something weird didn't happen. Like, you know, like John did something weird to him and it needs to go to HR. That's the next, <laughs> to me, it's in this order. Something, that person or their family is sick. Next, something like super politically incorrect, legal, sexual harassment. That's the next worst thing. Third is a good employee wants to leave. So if like a good employee says, I need to see you, that's the third thing I think. But like, that's all I think. I don't think like, oh, it's going to be a five minute check in. This is, by the way, everyone who's listening, this is the shit of owning your shit. Like, this is actually the way you think. This is why it's interesting what you, like, it's crazy to me, but it makes so much sense, which is why I'm jumping on this point. I never really thought about this. The only thing I would have thought when she wanted to see me is I'm getting fired. But what I just realized based on your reaction literally just hit me is like, right, when you're completely accountable to yourself, which is what you're figuring out now, mm-hmm. all the greatness of loving your boss and feeling safe, yeah. the shit part is the way my brain actually works. Listen to what I'm telling you. Every time anyone reaches out to me, in order, I think about terminal illness for them or their one loved one, Sexual harassment or stealing or something horrible. Third is they're leaving and we value them. That is literally the order that my head goes. Then it's like, hey, Gary, can we get 500 bucks for a TGIF Friday's party next <laughs> Thursday for the team? I'm like, yes. That's why, that's, why I always, oh, that's why I'm always in a good mood when it's anything but three. And the third one's not even that scary because genuinely on the record for anybody from Vayner that hears this, if one feels like they're ready to move on, I want to help them. It's the first two that scared the fuck out of me and always what I think. Every time a client reaches out, we're getting fired. Never we're getting more growth of business. Macro, I'm optimistic. Macro, I'm like, we're gonna win. We're the best. Micro, 
Micro, I'm not. That Mi- means something big. I don't know what it is. I'm not a psychologist, well, let me tell you. but it's got to mean tell something. You, let me tell you what it means in your world. When you're walking in there, micro, she's about to fucking fire me. Macro, I'm fucking a capable human being. I'm going to fucking figure it out. Whether I'm going to get another fucking job that's going to pay me more, or I'm going to start my own career and fucking speak at TEDx. Got it? Yeah, I was, but I was the opposite of that. I understand. That's crazy. Which is what I'm thinking of, why I'm saying this so aggressively is because there's two people listening right now in this show, in the framework of business, entrepreneurs and employees. And it's like an interesting debate for people that are like, for example, there's a lot of people that are employees right now that are thinking about making the jump where they listen to what I just said and are saying, do I want to live a life where I have to always be that on and anxious at all times? Because yes, I'm a firefighter. Like what's amazing about your life right now is you're in control. What's terrible is you're in control. Right. Like, if you decide to chill this morning, like, if Dustin isn't, <laughs> I'm just looking at him, if Dustin's just, like, not feeling it today, and I'm, like, pumped all the time and have days when you wake up and you're just not fully feeling it, one could argue that you can call out sick. You can lally-gag your day. You can. For me, that's at, like, the re- I'm like, oh, the reason I haven't had a sick day in nine years is that's more scary than the lally-gag. Obviously, if I run 105 fever, I'm willing to stay home. But all those days, I mean... I called out of school 13 to 23 times a year. I made pretend I was sick 13 times a year. (laughs) Once I figured out in high school that the nurse had to send you home, if you weren't willing to go back to class legally, it was over. I just laid there until they sent me home. I'm like, I'm nauseous. I'm unconscious. I feel weird. I'm anxious. Like, get me out of here. And then the best part was I'd go outside. My mom would have to pick me up freshman, sophomore year and junior year before I got my car. And literally, I would never look at her because the second I would look at her eyes, I would just start laughing because we both knew the gig. The gig was up. Anyway, not to not to tally. What happens? You cry all the way home, and then what? I went under a weighted blanket, grabbed a bottle of Chardonnay, and then I did something. How was the Chardonnay? Oh, it wasn't empathy. It needed to I be know empathy. That. We don't now have, it's it empathy. A, no, but how was it? Oh, it was good. Good, okay. But, all right, so here's the thing, though. I did something super smart, and I had never done it. I posted on social media that I just got fired. Mm. I just was vulnerable, and I just said, I need your you help. You needed something. I needed help. I didn't know what to do. And it was crazy. Froggy from the Elvis Duran show tweeted at me. I want to help you. Is there any way I can help you? And I wrote and I tweeted back. Yeah, get me, book me on Elvis. He booked me right away to go on the Elvis show. I went on the show and halfway through the interview, Elvis says, well, obviously you're writing a book. And I said, well, obviously, but I wasn't. So I Googled on the plane on the way home. <laughs> how do, how write do you write a book? And it says just write. So I was like, I can do that. So I just went home and I just started writing and writing. And then, you know, it took like two months and I was done with my book. Did you debate self-publishing, because I heard you earlier say that, versus getting a book deal? Was the book deal too long and drawn out and you wanted to get it out? Speed to market. So, you know, obviously with my history in business, I knew speed to market is critical. And I've got to move fast and I'm going to move so much faster than some traditional publishing house. So I'm glad that I self-published. Did you consider getting a job? Like going back? To a job, yes. So I had to to sign, I had to sign a non-compete when I took the chief revenue officer position. So for one year, I couldn't go back to media. So I thought to myself, if I'm going to start over as a rookie somewhere, why wouldn't I roll the dice on me versus, you know, if I'm going to go do something new. So what happened next? You write the book. So I write the book and then I Google, how do you promote a book? And you speak to promote a book. So I was like, oh, that's easy. I I already know how to speak. I didn't know there was a speaking business. I had no idea. Me neither before I got into it. It's so crazy to me. I I always think, how many other things do we not know about that we could be An uncomfortable amount. So that's what's so exciting. I mean, that's my entire thesis. When there was some gal in line in this speech I gave, and she's like, Gary, I know your thesis of taste things in your 20s. 
and figure out what you love or what you're great at or what there's what to your point. And she's like, but I've done all that. Like, what do I do? And I looked at her. She was from Belarus too. Uh, so I was like, you know, kind of like from the homeland. And yeah. I'm like, let me get this straight. You've decided <laughs> that you've done everything on earth and you now know every, like it was just, it was funny to watch her like realize, oh, I've only done nine things and there's nine billion things. There's so many things. Well, it's like I was just mentioning to you, Marcia Kilgore, how she's disrupted the beauty business. Look at that. This is someone who has been in the beauty business for a couple of decades and one day just said, hey, I'm going to flip this whole model upside down. Now it just challenges me to think, how can I flip everything upside down? Everything's in play because of the internet. Bookstores and limos are just the first ones. Everything. Every single thing is vulnerable. Everything. Everything. What do you want to... Everybody who's listening, like you like eyelash extensions, vulnerable. You like... Ice cream, vulnerable. You like kindergarten, vulnerable. Literally, this is why I, like people, you know, sometimes struggle to understand what I'm saying. All of it. The answer is yes. There's nothing that is protected. Amazon's vulnerable. I'm telling you right now. Let, let me explain what I mean by that. If you ask me, give me a top 10 great idea to start a business right now. One of them is to start a local bookstore. That's shocking. I, that's why I'm making a point of it. I believe that we are at enough scale of books being delivered by Amazon that the counter move is now up for debate. That if you build a trendy, coffee, WeWorky, co-working, kind of vibey, dry bar, Sephora, rad fucking bookstore, that people will go. That if you make it experiential, and have a, another variable that people pay the extra dollars that are more than Amazon to be there. I don't know. I, I ha- so I had the TED talk. I ordered like seven dresses online. Cause when you're a woman, you have to really think about what you're going to wear for something what about like men? this. Well, no, it's not, it's not as big a deal for a man. It's not. not. You're not going to be scrutinized the way that I would be. I think it's time that we start having counter debates of where we, are. some men are like wildly focused on what they're wearing. They're not going to be scrutinized. Oh, it's scrutinized. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to talk about what I wore. Like, it's too sexy or it's not. She's not feminine but why, or but whatever. Why, but why does that matter? I don't know. It matters in a woman's head. It just, it, these are the it, things women think about. Men think about how much money they make, how tall they are. Men think about a lot of things too. What I'm not making a men-women thing. I'm making it a, how do you eliminate that? Because then you go fast. I'll move out of Miami. That's what I should do to eliminate that. Or just not value people's opinions pro or con. You're right. You are right. But I want that for you. Because oh, I want that I for want everybody. That, I, I want, want it for everybody. I want it yeah. for ev- I went to the Knicks game last night and had 400,000. Tr- it was, my friend said to me, holy fuck, you're more popular than every Nick. And when I tell you that I can't even feel it, I can't. Which is why I can handle the next morning when somebody wrote a blog post to say that I'm trying to exploit the sports card industry because tops pay me $25,000 to curate a set. Like, you know, you need to be able to, I really want this for you. And I, I have a lot of empathy when you talk about women's appearance. Like, like the enormity of DMs that I get from women that say, look, easy for you. Like I spend 40 years before I go on film and I'm like, look, there's so many, like I, I understand that historical truths, you know, men and women are different. Uh, there's a million things that go into that, but there are so many men that are shy to go on camera because of their looks, and there are so many women that are not, and vice versa. Sure. And, and, and I'm just trying to get everybody into a mindset of happiness, which is actually truth of elimination of judgment. 
But nonetheless, you might also enjoy it. Like, it just might be fun for you to subconsciously to go through seven dresses. No. Maybe not. Absolutely not. Maybe not. No, that's I understand. pure hell. Understood. But the whole point, this is not why I was telling yeah, you Yeah, what this. were you telling me? Okay, so the whole point is this. So I had to order all these dresses because I wanted to get the right outfit and drive myself crazy. But then I I'd gotten these dresses from Saks and I look at, I usually order from Revolve, which is a customer-centered business, it. right? So it's easy to do business with them, return stuff. Also great pricing, right? Great pricing, great products. This is hashtag not an ad. Well, all of a sudden I look at Saks, you have to pay if you want to return it via UPS or whatever. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'll bring it into the store because, you know, that's yeah. just principle. It's wrong. So I bring it into the store. I hadn't been in the store in a long time. The guy literally is like, listen, here's my card. The guy that works at the desk, there's no one in the store. And he said, here's my card. Next time you order online, if you can just include this um, code, now I'll get a commission. And I thought to myself, this model is so freaking broken that this poor sales guy is like begging for someone to, you know, use their code so that they can make a dollar off of something that they used to have people come in the store and, you know, that model's just broken. Yeah. I, I mean, that sucked. That whole experience that you just like, horrible. I would never go to Saks again Hor- if somebody asked me that. Horrible experience. And now I'm not mad at Saks. I'm just mad at the whole thing. I feel bad for the guy. Well, obviously it's not, I mean, they're not training their people. I mean, there's so many issues there. It, the customer's not the focus. It's, it's, it's all broken. Yeah. Be- before we head out, cause we don't have that much time. What is, what's on your mind? What do you want to share with the audience? What are you talking about these oh days? Oh my gosh. Stepping into fear because I was paralyzed by fear for so long. I knew that lady didn't like me when I was working there, but I would just ignore it all the time. And that chipped away at me, my confidence, it chipped away at like my potential. And when you erode yourself in a situation, at some point you have to look in the mirror and say like, enough is enough. I've got to like, just go out there and take a chance on me. And I, I wasn't able to do that. I got pushed out, but I'm so glad now that I did. And this Ted talk that I did, it's so ridiculous standing on a little red circle and having a ticker going off for 10 minutes. It was the, one of the most stressful things I've done. But once you're done with it, it's like I said to myself right when I was walking out there, maybe I'm going to bomb right now. I don't know because this is not like anything I've ever done. But I, I'm going to love me so much more like when I get off the stage because sure. I walked out there. Sure. And so what since the fear professionally have you stepped into? Oh my gosh, everything. Me, I left me, my fiance that I've been in a relationship with for eight years. That's a that move. was like massive. Yeah, it's like a domino effect for sure. sure of, you know, different things that have occurred. And I keep like pushing myself to try different things and like go to that. Talk to me about your, so speaking is a core thing for you. Yeah, that's my number one thing. So let's talk about personal brand building, which would lead to more speaking gigs. Yeah. What are you doing content wise? How are you thinking about that? I'm not doing a good job of that. I need a D-Rock in my life. I mean, that's definitely the next investment. The that D-Rock I have part is not the punchline. It's it's the strategy that makes you comfortable with it. Yeah, but you, you can, can have, have a D-Rock. You can you have, have a great a D- strategy, but if you don't have the team to execute it. You could have a team. Well, it's, where do you want to make your investment? I mean, that's what you have. That to, I respect. You, you need so to you're saying it's a financial A hundred percent. Because that's the difference. Let me now. ask you a question. Yeah. Do you believe if you tweeted, much like you tweeted, I got fired, yeah. that I'm looking for an intern for a very low cost, but I'll, but you'll get the skill set to do the D-Rock thing. And can you afford it? Whether you're A, super hungry and you think it's strategically right because you get close to me, or B, you just come from highly wealthy parents who are going to subsidize your life during this time and you want the experience. Do you feel like you could get that person? You're right. That was a, that's a good point. Okay. Let's, so that's that. Let's put that on the <laughs> shelf. What, uh, what else are you doing on content? Where are you on LinkedIn? Oh, I kill on LinkedIn. Tell me. 
Well, how often do you post? What do you post? How are you thinking about it? You know what? I don't strategize. And tell me but, the truth because I really want to help you. And he's like, oh final minutes. That's so, thank you. How that's often so do you post on LinkedIn? Um, once tell a the day. Truth. Once a day. Yeah. Written? Um, well, I do videos, but then my viral posts, like I've had millions of views on my posts. It's always nine professional pictures of like, that's the recipe for whatever reason and sharing something vulnerable. Those ones go viral for me. Have you, have you tried to use LinkedIn like Twitter? I've been thinking about this a lot. No. I've been thinking about the notion of LinkedIn's algorithm is highly organic right now. And one or two sentences of thoughtful business chatter, three or four sentences on the fly. Like you're going down the elevator now after this podcast. And we talked about something that you thought about and be like, literally, here's literally the LinkedIn post. Just did a podcast. Made me really think about, you know, the things I continue to say no to that are actually yeses. I just need to look at them from a different angle. Mm-hmm. This is what I always challenge myself for because it's, I think, what I'm good at in giving advice for. Right. Um, that is a LinkedIn post would take you 39 seconds. I, I think you should be posting based on what you're trying to achieve in your career eight to 15 times a day on LinkedIn. Get out of here. Yep. And that's not going to be overkill, you don't think? It's not no. spamming people? No, because people aren't going to see it all. Right. What people don't understand is the algorithm. The thing that people haven't figured out is the algorithm is on the side of the person that's consuming it, not on the side of the person that's making it. Interesting. That's a good and point. And so the algorithm is going to, sh- you know who it's going to overkill? The 49 people on earth that think you're the greatest thing of all time and they're going to see all 15. And they'll be fine with it. That's fine. They're going to be pumped. Right. I'd like to get 49 pieces of content from Randy and the Macho Man Savage in 1988 every day of my life. You know, so no, the, that's why the algorithms work. People blame the algorithms like, fuck you, algorithm. I'm like, Mm-mm. the algorithm's there for the people. It's consumer centric. The reason algorithms work is because they're consumer centric. If you think I'm rad, you're going to see me because you're going to slow down when you're consuming it. You're going to consume. You're going to like. You're going to comment. And that's an indicator that you're going to see it. Do you respond to haters when they post on yeah. your, you do? Not always. I mean, right now, the sheer volume between text messages, social, email that I'm getting is unsustainable, even if I did it for 18 hours a day. Um, but I'm very, I, I had 30 minute, uh, 30 minute, uh, coffee this morning with a gentleman who, uh, I wouldn't call him a hater, but was aggressively pushing back against me on social. Um, and we had a lovely conversation about like marketing and how we see it differently. I get a lot of value. I mean, look, there's people that are making up stuff. The kid that wrote the article today about me in the sports card world made up stuff because right. I posted a photo of a box of cards yesterday, which I did for my friend that runs StockX, Josh, as a friendly gesture. He's turned it into this highly like hidden compensate. I mean, people are delusional. Right. Um, so that I don't get a lot of value out of lying or, or mean hate. If somebody, you know, haters that pick on women and use sexual, that, right. you're not going to, there's no engagement there. People that are like, Gary, you're a charlatan. Like, like you're full of shit. You've like, what have you ever done? I'm comfortable jumping in and be like, Hey, I understand you may not like the Instagram videos or I might come across too aggressive, but like, on that point of what have I ever done? I do think there should be a discussion of like, I've built two massive businesses. Like, and to that point, that might be a framework to a conversation. If the reply to you is like, fuck you, bitch, then I'm like, okay, this needs to move on. If they're like, okay, that makes sense. I didn't realize that. Then I, then I'll come back and be like, Hey, what about you? Like, what do you do? Like, I'm, I'm very capable of dealing with negativity because I come, I come at it from compassion and empathy. They don't know me. Right. Everybody in this room doesn't know me. And I know these, these three hang out with me a lot and have a lot of access to me. They don't fully know me. 
Who knows you? So when people are casting judgment, like, this is why I don't take compliments high either. That's hard. That is really, you have to train yourself to do that. Well, this is why, you know, I look at, I look at like, there's a couple things that people really struggle with. If you're attractive as a guy or gal, inevitably you're in trouble because you grew up in a life where people told you you were attractive and you took that in. If you had high success in school, if you had high success in sport, you know, by not being an attractive scholar or athlete, I had none of those over things. And so what actually gave me reinforcement was the end market. Nobody complimented me except the results of my little businesses. So I became market driven, not people's opinions driven. My friends wow. got it. Yeah. That's what I've self-analyzed. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for everybody else to do. Forget about individual opinions. What's the score say? Do people like, I always tell people, do the people that know you best like you? See, my thing is there's so many people out there that are admired, but if you look carefully, their inner circle's garbage. That's sad. Well, that's a lot of people that people think are awesome. Like a lot of people that get exposed later in the news, like bad shit, me too, fraud, go to jail. If you look carefully, you can be like, why don't they have an inner circle? Why aren't there people there for a long time? That's creepy. Like I'm like, why do I have people around me forever? Like, Like it's not super complicated. Like people get confused and then the reverse. So to me, I'd rather the people that know me the best admire me the most and the people that don't know me at all and are insecure and upset with themselves hate me the most. Absolutely. That's the game. Done. Fear is a real, you need to challenge yourself, in my opinion, to play that exact, you are not naturally that person. Just like I'm not naturally work out well, like it's really fun to think I don't do radical candor well because I hate micro negativity, which has led to all my vulnerabilities. That's what I'm working on. You need to fucking go all in on everything that is judgment. I love that. That's the game for you. All right, I'm in. Final point. Yeah, but what, what, you get the floor for the last 30, 60 seconds. Uh, when starting out a new business, it's a complete pain to get through the LLC part. Taylor Brands makes it 90% easier. It's easy and affordable to get your LLC with Taylor Brands. Taylor Brands offers all the legal requirements for LLCs, such as registered agent, annual compliance, EIN, operating agreement, business license and permits, and much more. Taylor Brands walks you through each step of building a successful business and has everything you need all in one place. Bookkeeping, invoicing, business licenses and permits, business documents, bank accounts, and so much more. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using this link, taylorbrands.com slash confidence. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash confidence. So get started today with Taylor Brands. Fear is a liar and confidence is the one thing that can change everything for anyone. And it's a choice. It's not something you're born with. It it is a practice, practice. right? It's a discipline and it's a decision every day when you wake up, but it's the game changer. I'm going to add, and I apologize. I said you get the last word, but I'm a fucking (laughs) maniac. I'm completely flawed. It just made me think of something. Judge the judger. Couple of new big executives have come to Vayner and they're like, wow, this place is fucking amazing. And I'm like, why? And both said the same thing. They said, after six months, they're like, you don't just blindly take content and context from people. You actually 360 it. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, a couple of weeks ago, I told you Sally Magoo sucked. And you came back a week later and said, 
you have a wrong perspective because you only took it from one person's point of view. And you were right after I did the homework. Judge the judger, my friends. If somebody says you're ugly, you have to decide who that person is, including your mom, including your dad. Absolutely. Most importantly, those people, because those people are coming from their, their own challenging judge places. Judge the judger. You're so right. People get feedback and they're like, ah, I'm stupid. I'm like, because Ricky Magoo said you're stupid? Judge the judger. That's the easiest way to get into a fear-based. Here's my framework. I don't let anybody else's opinion override my own. Judge the judger. And when I lose, because there is no judger, it's just the market. My book didn't sell. My sports card didn't sell. My business did bad. We got fired. I accept it. I own it. When the market says you lost, you have to own it. It's like sports. Mm-hmm. Either you lost or you won. And when you lose, you have to accept it. And But anything that's a subjective judgment, judge the judger. That's how you get a relationship with fear. So good. Awesome. Thanks for being on. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed learning from Gary as much as I do. I am such a fan of this man. So appreciative to him for all he's done. He's the real deal. And he's all about the EQ is more valued than the IQ. And I will tell you what, he definitely gets people, supports people, and has been fantastic to me. So I'm super grateful. But just remember, it all starts with the ask. How are you bringing value? And then how are you asking for what you want? in the moment when you're face-to-face with decision makers. That's the moment where magic always happens. Okay, I couldn't leave you going into 2020 without a little insight into how business is evolving, changing, how technology is impacting things. So why not invite the CEO of NetSuite on to give me and you a lesson in what we can look forward to moving forward in 2020 and beyond. But before we go there, everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance, extra money in your pocket. Who does not want that? It just may be the most rewarding to do that you do today. Hang tight. We're going to be right back. Hi, and welcome back. I'm really excited to introduce you to Evan Goldberg. He's the founder and EVP of NetSuite. Thanks for being here, Evan. Thanks for having me. So Evan, for my listeners that might not know about you, might not know about NetSuite yet, can you share with us your story professionally, personally, what led you to where you are now today at NetSuite? Yeah, thanks for asking that. So um, yeah, it's been, uh, NetSuite is an overnight success in 20 years. Um, <laughs> I, we started um, kind of out of my frustration when I had uh, my first startup, um, n- not really having great tools to understand what was happening with my business and who my customers were and um, where I was making money, where I wasn't making money. Um, and we had cobbled together a bunch of different tools to to sort of try to run that company. And we had QuickBooks and we had, um, we were selling on Yahoo stores and we had um, a contact management system for sort of our very primitive Salesforce automation. And in my mind, I imagined that there were 
much more sophisticated, you know, business management tools for big companies. As it turns out, there's lots of issues there, but um, uh, there certainly weren't for smaller companies. So um, kind of wanted to pivot um, in my next company to sort of solve that problem. And um, uh, fortunately, was lucky enough to engage with Larry Ellison, who had a similar thought. Um, specifically, he was really excited about um, accounting and and stuff like QuickBooks, but delivered as a web-based service. And this is in 1998, and the internet had not really been used that way. And it was uh, before uh, a few months before Salesforce.com um, had started. And um, so we kind of had a meeting of the minds and agreed that we should build a company that builds business management uh, software applications. Um, starting with accounting, um, but an entire suite, including things you need for you know running your sales and the things you need for running your web store and things for you need for uh, you know running your HR and your people management, um, but delivered on the web so small companies wouldn't have to deal with you know complex the complexities of running their own software and that was pretty novel um, back then and 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 fortunately. Um, you know, NetSuite's that that vision that we had um, of everything that you need to grow your business and in, in, all in one place is something that we've um, been focused on for for 20 years, and um, that brought us to where we are today. So you mentioned being an overnight success over 20 years, which I find very comical. Was it difficult in the beginning, or do, when you look back, were there challenging times? Well, the most challenging thing was that it was quite novel to, you know, have your business data um, on the internet and people were just getting used to, you know, just buying books. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that took some convincing. Um, we had early adopters that sort of got it, um, but, you know, especially companies and their finance operations can be, um, you know, pretty cautious. And we were dealing with CFOs and controllers um, that weren't quite sure that they were comfortable with that yet. And uh, I would have to make the pitch like, well, where's your data now? And when they thought about it, they're like, oh, well, it's on a computer somewhere. And I'm like, well, do you know where that computer is? Do you know who has access to it? Do you know if someone could just, you know, take a put a disk into it? There weren't flash drives back then and, and just steal all your information and they, they, you know, when they started to think about it and then we described the fact that we were in a professionally run data center with, you know, biometric security and, and et cetera, et cetera, and, and backup, you know, and backup capabilities, et cetera. Um, then they, they could see that this could, that we really had to do a lot of convincing. Fortunately, you know, that obviously there were, there was a lot, there was a larger, um, current of, of, uh, of companies starting to deliver services over the web, certainly Salesforce.com and and other services like that that helped, you know, overall um, get people kind of, you know, to cross that chasm and 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 within maybe about I'd say a, a decade or so, um, it really was instead of us having to play um, defense, it was the companies where that offered you software where you had to manage it and they started playing defense because instead of 
uh, customers asking, well, why would I want to put my information on the internet? It was more like, well, why wouldn't I, why would I want to manage it myself? Why wouldn't I want to put it, let someone else manage it for me? So those, that was one of the biggest challenges early on. And, um, you know, we, uh, we overcame that with that, with the help of, of just sort of the trajectory of the industry. Well, that's very impressive because my hardest sales moments have been with CFOs and extremely analytical and cautious types. So I, you get mad props for that. So now <laughs> I understand that assisting nonprofits is of great value to you and NetSuite. What role does, does NetSuite play in this process? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a similar sort of grassroots story on that, which was that, you know, sim- similarly to how it was my experience in running my own company that led me to want to build something like NetSuite. It was uh, my experience um, dealing with a local not-for-profit and my um, wife was president of the PTA and the PTA ran on actually two copies of QuickBooks, which was amazingly complex for a tiny little parent teacher association. And one of the reasons was because people like to work at home. So the person that did the expenses did it on one, their copy of QuickBooks and the person that did the donations did it on their copy of QuickBooks. Well, I, that didn't look like the right way to, you know, run an organization like that. I suggested that maybe they'd want to get on NetSuite and then you could just have one copy um, of the data and everything sort of working together. And once we did that and it was successful and it was really helpful, you know, uh, volunteers could work at home. Anyone, you know, that was on the executive team from their own computer could see what was happening with the organization sort of financially. And that, you know, that really was, to me, was the great thing. It's just having information about your business, you know, anytime, anywhere. Um, I saw that that was probably going to be a challenge for other not-for-profits. I mean, the reality is that especially these days where not-for-profits um, are scrutinized for how they spend their donors, their, you know, donations, and um, they want to, obviously they want to maximize their impact. And that's all about ROI and understanding, you know, your outcomes, what kind of outcomes are you getting for the money that you're spending in a system like NetSuite is exactly what you sort of need to do that analysis. And so over the years, we've built up quite a sophisticated program within our organization to uh, give away, um, donate the service to smaller nonprofits, to offer it commercially, but at highly discounted rates to larger nonprofits. And we even have a part of the program, which we call Oracle NetSuite Social Impact, whose, whose mission really is to help great organizations do good better. Um, we have a portion of that program where employees of Oracle NetSuite can donate pro bono hours to help um, our grantees uh, get the most out of NetSuite. And that's sort of a win-win-win. Um, it's a win for, the, uh, for us because obviously we want the service to run as, as well as possible for our customers, both for-profit and not-for-profit. Um, it's a win for the employees. They get to learn more about how NetSuite works. A lot of these might be engineers that don't necessarily always get to see how NetSuite works in a real organization. They get out to real organizations, or sometimes we bring the organizations to the office. They meet the people that are doing it. Maybe it's an organization that they're passionate about. So they get to help out an organization that they love and also learn more about how NetSuite works. And then finally, you know, we think it's a big win for the organizations themselves to optimize the use of NetSuite as they, as they grow. And, and NetSuite is really about navigating um, the challenges as, as you grow, whether you're, you know, a not-for-profit company or a commercial enterprise. 
what kind of feedback are you getting from your employees, your team working now in this nonprofit element that might, might be new to them? Well, I, you know, I think sometimes they didn't necessarily expect when they came on board at NetSuite that that's the type of thing that they were do, we'd be doing. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, a lawyer that comes into a large um, legal firm, you know, that's sort of, you know, standard that there will be pro bono work and you'll right. get to work on that. And so, you, you know, that's, that's what, you know, that's an expected part of your, um, of your duties and something that I think uh, they get inspired by. And so for us, our employees, I think, didn't necessarily come, come to NetSuite knowing that that would be something that they'd be doing. But the feedback we've get, gotten is tremendous. Um, we hold these build-a-thons, which are sort you know, basically hackathons, um, where uh, we'll bring together a bunch of employees in several organizations, and they'll spend, you know, 24 hours um, intensively working on something, and usually there are problems like the, the organizational say, here's a program that we have to help, um, you know, the, the, the people that we're trying to help. And this is a new program and we want to be able to measure it and get metrics on it so we know whether it's working. Can you help us extend NetSuite so that we can make the system be able to track that information, which isn't the standard information maybe that NetSuite tracks, but NetSuite is very flexible um, allows you to extend it to track new things. And so they'll get together for 24 hours and they'll build the beginnings of the system that they need to track that um, activity. And uh, so they get great feedback, both from the employees that get to do that and, 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 and hone their NetSuite skills and from the organizations that come back and say, yeah, I've, I've learned so much now that we're actually tracking um, this, new, this new activity that we're doing. And such opportunity for innovation through this project too, which is really exciting. Definitely. And, um, you know, we so certainly an incredibly important part of the employee experience, I think, at all companies is, is being able to be creative and innovative and 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 learning new things. Um, and so that, you know, it's it's it's, it's a great uh, and we try we encourage, you know, as many of our employees as possible. We've done something like a thousand employees have done it over the last uh, tw- uh, 12 months and participated in these kinds of activities, these pro bono activities. And uh, we're going to continue to promote it within our employee base. Such a great idea. Can you tell me how you've managed to work the concept of empathy into your business? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, design thinking, um, which is certainly the way a lot of uh, product companies that are producing some kind of product or service are, are, are thinking about uh, how they extend and improve uh, their product or service. Really, empathy is probably the key component. And I think, you know, empathy works its way into lots of different things, not just, and and certainly it's very, very important when we think about how to improve the service. And we'll use personas and user stories and and, uh, many of those techniques to really try to get inside the the mind of the people that are using the product. Of course, um, the the most important thing is that we spend time with customers at their site or, you know, bring them in together in groups where they can collaborate and, and, and share ideas um, and through that really try to, to, to become one with what these uh, users are experiencing on a day-to-day basis, what their pain points are, what their opportunities are. Because um, it's not, you know, it's both about eliminating the drudgery of, of people's jobs, but also showing them insights and making them more productive and making them feel like they're doing more with less. And so I think that's, you know, it's critical for our, um, our, our product development, but I also think it's critical within an organization in so many ways. I mean, that's how um, you should be thinking about how you interact with other employees. And 
um, that's probably the most important way that you can make sure that you're being sort of as thoughtful and productive in your working relationships is to try to put yourself in the other, you know, in the other person's shoes or walk a mile in their shoes. And so I think across the board, um, it's a, it, it's a critical practice, um, in being successful, um, in business. And these type of practices always start at the top. So it's so good to hear that you're embracing it and making empathy a priority. It's great for your customers, your employees. And I, I definitely applaud that. Where do you see your business going in the future? Well, I think that two of the most exciting trends that are happening to business software, to any, you know, any of the tools that people are coming into work and using is that people are expecting more from them. And the generation of employees that's coming into the workplace now grew up with technology. They grew up with great user experiences and they don't, you know, they don't expect to take a big downgrade, you know, during the, their work day. Um, and so I think you're going to see um, a next generation of tools in the, in the workplace um, that have extraordinary user experiences that, that people don't complain about, you know, and that people feel like really do empower them to do their job a, as well as they can. So that's certainly something that we're extremely focused on, um, especially for our customers who typically are fast-growing businesses that have sort of outgrown their initial accounting and, and or, you know, contact management packages or their web store and their they're, they're growing fast and they need something more powerful that ties everything together. So they, but they're coming from tools that were designed for small companies and they don't expect when they use a, a, a tool that's maybe for a mid-sized company that they shouldn't have to take downgrade. And in fact, it, hopefully what we'll do is give them even an improved user experience. So that's one area that I think is going to be huge over the coming decade. And the other area that you read all about um, is of course AI and machine learning um, and for me, that's just a more ways to give an incredible business experience to people using these tools. And it's intelligent assistance. It's insights that you might be able, that the computer might be able to unearth. They won't always be right, but they'll give you great ideas. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that my customers that buy this segment of my of my product catalog tend to be like this, you know, like that. And 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 so just kind of those kinds of patterns. That, that the system can unearth, I think um, are going to be really helpful for insights into your business. And then just automation, uh, making it easier to do your daily tasks because we see what you do, we see what all of our users do, and we figure out ways where they're getting stuck, how we can automate things better, um, how we can have them, you know, have better visibility. We notice that you are looking at this report frequently. You have to click log ways to get it. Why don't we just put it right on your dashboard? So I think the assistance that can come from AI and machine learning um, by using it, you know, to solve very concrete problems, similar to what we see in consumer devices. So when your phone, when you get in your car, says um, there's traffic on the way to work, you might want to go this different way. I mean, there's a lot of intelligence. It's a relatively simple thing. But there's a lot of intelligence there because, A, it's figured out that you're probably driving to work. And, B, of course, it's going to analyze the traffic and how you usually go or, you know, and, and figure it out a better way. So practical, solving practical problems and giving intelligent assistance is a huge direction for us over the coming years.
What kind of advice do you give to people when I hear you talking about automation? I hear from a lot of people, they're afraid, how will my job be affected moving forward? Will my job be relevant? What kind of direction do you give to those people when they express that fear to you? Yeah, well, you know, in fact, that's before even thinking about the the robo-apocalypse and AI. Um, For 20 years, we've been dealing with the fact that systems like NetSuite and cloud-based systems do eliminate some of the work that people were otherwise doing in terms of maintaining software, maintaining upgrades. I mean, we do the upgrade. We take the pain of the upgrade for you. I mean, there's no more upgrading with NetSuite. You'll get new capabilities. They come periodically, but it's not something where you have to actually manually figure out how to get the new version of the software working. So we take on that burden. Um, the, you know, worrying about like what version of the operating system you use, things like that. We, that's not an issue when you're dealing with internet software. So people were thinking, oh, well, what, you know, that's what I spent a lot of my time doing. What am I going to do now? But typically what we see in organizations is that the people that did that work redeploy themselves, um, to much more productive things and basically helping users get the most out of the system rather than spending a lot of time just trying to get the thing up and running. They spend much more of their time um, looking at how to optimize, um, how to optimize the user experience, you know, and responding to uh, their users uh, more frequently and, and, and uh, more effectively. And so, you know, it's not about elimination of jobs. It's really about optimizing um, what, people are, what people are doing. And so I think there's, that's similar to what I think is going to happen with the type of um, intelligent assistance that we're that we're talking about putting into the uh, into the heart of the system. That's great to hear. Well, I know you're very busy, Evan, so I'll let you go. But before I let you go, how can everyone find out more about Netsuite? Sign up for some of your programs and learn more. Absolutely. Well, uh, go to netsuite.com. We have a wealth of information about how it can be appropriate for your type of business or nonprofit organization. And um, there's, you know, very easy ways to sign up and, and, and learn more. So I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about it today. Thanks so much. And we'll be right back. Zoom didn't invent video conferencing. They just made it better. Now Zoom is how business gets done. Zoom ties together all of your communication needs into one easy app for video conferencing, phone calls, group chats, webinars, and your conference rooms. Turn any workspace into a modern, easy-to-use Zoom room, an enterprise video conference room designed for instant collaboration with flawless video and audio, instant wireless content sharing, and a single tap of a button to start a meeting. And Zoom phone works seamlessly from any device as your business phone system to make and receive phone calls, capture call recordings, and easily elevate from phone call to video if the need arises. Zoom is used by millions to connect around the world, including this girl right here. Wait, why wait any longer? Visit Zoom online and set up your free account today and meet happy with Zoom.
So I hope you enjoyed this new different format, mashing up a couple of different interviews. Hopefully it brought you twice the value. I do not want to talk too much right now because I'm constantly worried I'm I'm going on and on. Although I have so much to say, it's very frustrating. But I'm super excited for 2020. I had no idea what was coming in 2019, and I feel the same way about 2020. I hope you'll join me. I'm definitely going to set some very specific goals, some measurable goals. And really for me, my first month, January, is going to be focused on meditating once a day and my gratitude practice, three things I'm grateful for. Those are very small things to focus on. But one of the reasons why I like it is it's measurable, actionable. I can do it. I definitely have the time to do those two things. That's 10 minutes out of my day each day. You can do it too. And I also know it will create massive change for me. So if you want to join me doing that, I would love for you to join me. I will be talking about this each week on the show, on my progress, on how my goals are morphing. I'm hoping to get feedback from you. Hit me up on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I want to hear how what goals you're setting for yourself, what action steps you're taking to set yourself up for success. And I want to share a question that came in to me. One of my past employees back in corporate America sent me a note saying that he and his wife had come up with an amazing idea and potential business. They had filed for copyright. They had created a prototype, you know, taken a lot of action steps that are really important. However, he was freezing now around the idea of finding a manufacturer he can trust when he felt his ideas might get stolen. So I gave him the same feedback that I took from Sarah Blakely when I interviewed her. You know, she drove to North Carolina and met with every single manufacturer there was. Not one. She was scared of anyone taking her ideas too, but she decided if she didn't have speed to market, somebody else could come up with that same idea she had and beat her to the punch. So she filed for all the proper paperwork and then she took her ideas on the road and she ended up really connecting with one manufacturer and he had daughters and they were talking about Sarah and when she had a follow-up phone call with him, she just felt differently about him than anyone else and that's who she ended up partnering with and needless to say, Spanx is now valued at more than a billion dollars and it was a very good decision. So the key is take action, follow your gut, trust your instincts, and when you get that feeling, go for it. Let nothing stop you. You can be sitting on the sidelines a year from now, scared someone's going to steal your idea, but I promise you this. If you had the idea, somebody else will eventually too, and sometimes it's just the speed to market that makes a difference. So don't let that hold you back. Go all in for 2020. I can't wait to hear your big, massive goals. Mine are huge. Yes, we're still going after Reese Witherspoon. Yes, we're going after so many amazing things. And yes, I know they're not all going to come together, but I can promise you this. Some big ones will come that we don't even know about yet. So can't wait for the ride. So excited that you're here with me. I can't wait to hear back from you. As always, if you can share the podcast, if you can leave a review, it helps so much. And here's looking forward to all that you're going to achieve in 2020 and beyond. I'm here with you. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about, Negotiate Your Best Life 
hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential. Don't believe me? I'm going to go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too. You have helped me so much these last few weeks. I was with a narcissist for two years. She drove me to the point I wanted to take my own life. Listening to you has made a massive difference, and now I know what I'm with. Thank you, Rebecca. Now the recovery. Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life. Emma, 35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.